I'm up already. I, I thought I was just done. Okay, before we get started, I do want to just take a second. It, this is such a full week, and there's so much going on, and, and your bodies may be tired, but man, I hope your spirit like mine is full, and you're energized for what God has in front of you. I, I do want to take a moment. How are we doing, man? You, Adjust me. See how I'm going to do? Am I flying outside? Okay. Right on. Whatever it, whatever it needs to look like. Don't look at this thing. No, you're good. Right on. I, I, I do want to thank Sam for adjusting my microphone, my collar, my jacket, ironing my pants. Seriously, everybody that has done all of this work, Midtown, Harvest, all the other area churches, all of you that have done so much, for myself and on behalf of all of the guests, certainly from out of town, thank you so much for doing this. This really, this is a, this is a, a, a gathering place where so many, yeah, applause, amen. Where so many can come and be fed and be refreshed and be recharged and be excited. And, and I am one of many who benefit from this and I really, I really do appreciate it. Okay, so we are concluding this three-evening study, and the theme is biblically mobilizing men for the, min- for the mission. And the idea is mobilizing. We are talking about the steps that are necessary in order to get you where you need to be, and we've had some wonderful illustrations of that already. And so by now we know the first evening, the difference in the understanding of being called or being commanded. It's not mystical, it's biblical, it applies to all of us. We saw last night proven or passive or lazy. In other words, get to work, get trained, prove your aptitude in ministry. And today we're going to see the last step of biblically mobilizing men. And the title is sent out or skipped out. And Like in anything, my prayerful consideration was is that everything would build to this conclusion this evening, and and by the end of this event, you'll have a good framework of exactly how God works to get you where you need to be. There is a very clear biblical pattern established, which sadly is frequently ignored. Now, our launching pad for all of these sessions has been Acts chapter 13, so we're going to go back there, and we're going to see this aspect also come out of Acts chapter 13, starting at the very first verse. Please follow along. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So in this passage, we see in verse number three that Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the church in Antioch. They, the church, fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, and they, the church, sent them away. In verse 4, we see being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. So what is it? Have they been sent forth by the church, or have they been sent forth by the Holy Ghost? And the obvious answer is yes. There is no contradiction. 
And that is because of the obvious fact most of you already know. The Spirit of Christ works through the body of Christ. The Spirit of Christ works through the body of Christ. You need to remember, this is a simple fact, the Lord is body, soul, and spirit. Which means the church, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. That makes up the totality of this trinity, the Lord, all three have to be involved. But we live in what the Bible calls perilous times. We live in a time characterized by the church of Laodicea. And I have noticed that in Laodicea, people seem to have body image problems. They don't seem to value the body that God gave them. We love and respect the word of God. Shout hallelujah for that. We love and respect the spirit of God and we get excited about that. But that body, now that's where it gets tricky. Because you see, the body is made up of people like me and that's not easy. They're made up of people like you And while we're commanded to love one another, that's not always easy. And so that body, it's a part of the plan. So what do we often see? Well, what we often see in the Laodicean version of church planting is you get some people who say, I'm mad. Things didn't go my way, so I'm out. They have no authority. So they skip out. And they start a church two miles down the road and take as many people as they can out of your church. God help those people. Those new churches, they're not filled with newly saved people. They're filled out, filled up typically with worn out retreads, with people who just happen to agree with their rebellion. You know what they do? They recruit your people because they can't reproduce. You know, it made me think of Luke 17, 28, where the Lord tells us that, excuse me, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And you know the primary characteristic of the days of Lot, right? You know that homosexuals have to recruit They can't reproduce. Laodicea has a problem, and that problem is a body image. We don't value the body that God gave us. So an individual feels ready to go do something great for the Lord, but they won't wait to submit to the structure. And so rather than being sent out, they just skip out, they just go. Oh, but they're smart enough that they've learned enough Bible, they realize, wait a minute, there is that check box I've got to get taken care of. So they go around and shop around until they can find a church that will check the box so that they can say, well, I did what I'm supposed to do because I got the church to check the box. But that church really never had a role in proving them and their gifts, and their walk, and their holiness, and their experience, and all of their submission issues that we talked about last night. Can I give you some practical advice? If you, for whatever reason, 
can't seem to stay in your current church. And, and by the way, as a pastor of a church, I wholly support your right to choose where you worship. No question about it. You should choose where you want to be trained. You should choose where you think you can submit. But if for some reason you can't stay where you're at and just go join a new church, but without the expectation that immediately that new church has to recognize your previous accomplishments or success. If that's you and you feel like you have to move, can I just encourage you with just submit. Just get involved. Let the new leadership get to know you. Prove yourself all over again. I mean, if you're that great, it shouldn't take that long, right? Your pastors will see that. But please don't just play the system to get your church box requirement checked. I wish I didn't have the experience to tell you, but I do. Missionaries do this all the time. Missionaries know that they need to be sent out from churches and they're really not affiliated with a church. They went off to a Bible college for four years. They haven't been a part of a church much when they were there. And they join a mission board, and the mission board's going to send them somewhere. But they know they need a church, so they shop around to find one. So the pastor will sign the card so they can say, well, I've got a church. And as sad as that sounds, that does happen. But if you're that person, and you're thinking you're not satisfied where you're at and you're thinking, well, man, I don't want to just go and start from scratch. I mean, I have done a lot of work. They do kind of know me here. If you can't find yourself leaving properly or if they can't seem to find the proving evidence in you, well, you know, maybe there was something wrong with you after all. Maybe you left the first place because you were the problem. Is it possible for you to trust the Lord enough to wait for the right biblical structure to take place? Listen, y'all, the work of the Lord is bigger than just you and God. It's about a body and God. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. What did Jesus Christ give himself for? Me as an individual? Well, only in the context that I become a part of this body. Jesus Christ gave his body to be crucified so that there would become a new spiritual body. He gave himself for the church. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye... Old English for y'all, plural, are the temple, singular, you got to get that, of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you, that's plural. If any man, now that's singular, if any individual man defile the temple of God, if any individual man try to defile what is this collective body of the church, him shall God destroy. God help that man. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple y'all or all y'all are? Romans 12, 5. So we being many 
are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Colossians 1, 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. And so you have to understand that God's plan for continual propagation of his life is through his body, which is the church. It's, it's God's life. He desires to propagate it. He's going to propagate it through his body. And the Bible defines clearly what his body is. It is the church. Why is that? Well, because it's what he said. <laughs> because it's the biblical way. And because ever since the beginning of creation, like begets like. Apples come from apple trees, not orange trees. Like begets like. Churches reproduce churches. And churches that do not have the blessing of the sending from a church are not biblical churches. And they may have a little flame for a little while, but they won't last. Christians today in Laodicea, which many of you know that name literally means the rights of the people. They have a hard time with this principle of sending. You know, we're so individualistic these days. Once we decide something, we, we just want to go off and do it. And while that initiative can be applauded, it's just not the way it works. It's just not how God operates. So Jesus, who recognized this, taught his disciples in Matthew 9, 37, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, for what? That he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So God is the one who sends forth the laborers, and Jesus recognized it. And he said, pray for that. He didn't say, pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that laborers will get up and go. Did you notice that? He said, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he will send. Because that's the biblical way. And that's the way it needs to be done. Going back to Acts 13 that we've read every night, it's the Holy Ghost that sends. So God, through the Holy Spirit, sends through the vehicle of churches. That's how he does it. There is no other biblical model. Parachurch organizations don't beget something that they are not. It just doesn't work that way. So the thing I really want you to understand, and there's only two points to the message tonight, is the power of sending, the first point that we're going to look at, the power of sending. And if you'll open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 18, we're going to look at an Old Testament picture to drive home this point. Now, the backstory in 2 Samuel coming up through ch uh, chapter 18 is the story of the rebellion of Absalom, the son of King David, who tried to overthrow David's kingdom and overthrow the kingdom of Israel. And so David is kind of just lamenting this idea that Absalom is gaining strength, but Joab takes the armies of David and he says he's going to go out and he's going to get Absalom. And David specifically tells Joab, whatever you do, don't kill him, 
But Joab knows that the kingdom needs to get rid of the rebels, otherwise there's always going to be this seed of rebellion. And so you know the story of Absalom and all the teenagers in a youth group in the day that I grew up would hear the story of Absalom's long hair and he got it stuck in the tree and he was hanging there and Joab goes up and stabs him and kills him. That's what happens in this chapter. So Joab kills him. So if you have long hair and you're a guy, you know, you deserve to die. I don't know what it is. That's just what they're saying. (laughs) That's what they taught in the 80s anyway. I don't know. But I want us to see the story. And we're going to pick it up in verse number 19. So the, the deal is done. Absalom is now dead. Verse number 19. Then said Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, let me now run and bear the king tidings how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. So we're introduced to a young man named Ahimaaz, and he's a volunteer. He's volunteering to go and take the message to the king. Let me go and tell the king that he has been avenged of all of his enemies. We have won this battle. So he's a volunteer. He has a willing attitude, and he is the son of a man named Zadok. And Zadok is a very important man because he is a priest, and he is a prophet, and he is a dear friend, a trusted confidant of King David. In fact, he was sent to go spy on Absalom and try and find out some intel from the inside of what was really going on in Absalom's camp. This is the priest, Zadok, who ultimately carries the ark back to Jerusalem after David's mistake of allowing it to be traveled in a cart. So this is Ahimaaz. He volunteers to carry a message. Let me now run. Verse 20, Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings, because the king's son is dead. So Joab tells Ahimaaz, not today. Good idea, no. Wait for another day. So verse 21, then said Joab Joab to Cushai, Go tell the king what thou hast seen. And Cushai bowed himself unto Joab. And ran. So Joab, rather than selecting Ahimaaz, selects another man named Cushai, and he sent him and said, Go and tell. That is the textbook definition of a missionary, one who is sent with a message. So Cushai obeys this command and goes to carry this message to King David. Verses 22 and 23, then said Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, yet again to Joab, but howsoever, let me, I pray thee, also run after Cushai. And Joab said, wherefore wilt thou run, my son, seeing that thou hast no tidings ready? But howsoever, said he, let me run. Please, 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 please. And he said unto him, all right, run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and overran. Cushai. So verse 22 and 23, Ahimaaz begs and begs, please let me go, please let me go, please let me go. He said, why? You don't even have anything to say. Let me go, just let me go. And he's like, just go, man, good night. And you know what? Sometimes your pastors feel that way. Joab gives in. Ahimaaz arrives at the destination, probably raised his support faster, ahead of Cushai, So fast forward to verse 27, upon arrival, and the watchman said, Methinketh the running of the foremost is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He's a good man, 
and cometh with good tidings. So he has this testimony even of King David. He's not a bad guy. He's a good man. He's going to carry good tidings. Verse 28, and Ahimaaz called and said unto the king, all is well. And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king. And he said, blessed be the Lord thy God, which hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my Lord the king. So he starts with this positive message, all is well. The only problem is all really isn't well. (laughs) It's not true. And so David in verse 29, notice the king said, is the young man Absalom safe? That's all he really cared about. And Ahimaaz answered when Joab sent the king's servant and me, thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. By the way, that's not true either. He knew full well the reason he wasn't sent is because Absalom had died. And he knew that David didn't want to hear it. But he had to be in the game. He had to get in there somehow. And so David specifically said, is Absalom safe? And he said, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of noise and a lot of stuff going on. I'm just not really sure. Just not really sure. Verse 30. And the king said unto him, better pay attention to this. Turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still. And behold, Cushai came, and Cushai said, Tidings, my lord the king, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. And the king said unto Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, The enemies of my lord the king, and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. So Cushai arrives, the one that was sent, and he carries this message, Your enemies are defeated. And David again wants to know, Is Absalom safe? And in his own way, he basically says, no, no, he's dead. And if you continue reading the last few verses, it's very clear David understands as then he goes in to mourn the loss of his son, Absalom. So that's the story. That's what's going on historically. What can we learn about this biblical mobilizing for the mission through this story? Well, that's letter B, the lesson. Before we get into it, let me just remind you of Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11. God wants you to understand this. It says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. You know that in this race, this battle, this effort that we have for the Lord, there's a whole lot more to it than just your abilities. Praise God for the abilities you have, and yes, leverage them as you can, but don't think that that's all that's necessary. So in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, the Lord reminds us, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's the way you get real victory, right? Jeremiah understood it as the Lord reminds him and says, you know, there's some people, he said, I've not sent these prophets Yet they ran. I've not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. So that tells you that God is aware that there are going to be people out there who God never sent, but they're still out there running around. God never gave them anything to say, but they got a lot to say. Listen, Ahimaaz, he's a good guy, he's from a good family. He has zeal, he has skills, 
He's just not sent. He's just not sent. He may get where he's going quicker. He may be well-received. But what is the ultimate job of a messenger? You gotta deliver the right message, don't you? You gotta deliver the right message. And so David's response, and who is David a picture of in the scriptures? The Lord Jesus Christ. We had this illustration. Turn aside, stand here. You're really of no use to me. You ran all this way, you came up in here and you didn't give me any information that was useful for me at all. So just stand there. Just stand there. You can be a good guy. You can have skills. You can have training. But if you just skip out on your own authority, you'll find that you're of no particular use to Jesus Christ. On the other hand, Cushai, well, he's a relative unknown. Not much info in the Bible about him. Uh, He's an Ethiopian. He's a servant of servants. We don't have any family reference for him. We don't have any resume given for him. But he was sent by his authority, which would have been Joab, the captain of the host. And he was sent with a message. We don't know a lot about this guy. He might have been a great guy. He might have been, I don't know. We just don't know. The Lord doesn't tell us. But it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's all that really matters. He accomplished the mission. So a little further down in Jeremiah 23, the Lord reminds us by saying, the prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream, and he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? That's the power of sending. You carry the authority of the sender. And if the one who sends laborers into the harvest is God, and the way that God sends laborers into the harvest is through his church, and it is, amen and amen, then and only then can you actually accomplish the mission for which you've been sent out to do. There's a lot of people that were never sent, but they're running. And there's a lot of people that God never gave a message to, but they're talking. That's the power of sending. You actually achieve the objective. Second point, the place of sending. I want to revisit this idea of place, location, once again, but quickly from a new perspective. A lot of you young, developing Christians, studying, dreaming, how can God use you? Where am I gonna go? How will this work out? Just remember, the Lord does not call you to a location. He calls you to a work. We've covered this. So quit worrying about the location. But it's been my experience that a lot of people I mean, it's fun to dream, it's fun to wonder, it's fun to think and pray about all those things, that's fine. We, we wanna dream about 
serving in exotic places. You know, I've, I've prayed about Team Maui for a long time, and it hasn't happened yet, but, you know, it'd be cool, wouldn't it? I mean, isn't that the contemporary reasoning today? I mean, face it, since there's so many people in the world and, and there's plenty of lost people anywhere, everywhere, and even if there are a lot of churches, I mean, face it, they're probably not any good churches that really understand the Bible and really understand a biblical philosophy of ministry. And since there's just so much opportunity anywhere and everywhere, and actually, by the way, that is not untrue, you start to think, well, I mean, wouldn't it be cool if I could serve in a place where the temperature profile was between 65 and 80 all year round? I mean, wouldn't it be cool if my favorite city I always wanted to live in anyway, I mean, there's millions of people there. I mean, why not? Why not? Hey, you know, I always like that French language. It just sounds kind of like those Three Musketeer movies. I like that. <laughs> I mean, think about it. There's, there's some cultures, you know, that are just laid back and chill, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of like that. I, I think I'd like that. And while it's true, in every one of those places that you might think about preferring, there's plenty of lost people. And if there's churches, the odds are they probably don't know what they're doing. It's a sad reality in the days in which we live. But can I just say that if you find yourself thinking that way, those thoughts can be traps to your flesh. You may have a hard time keeping focused on the reason why you're really there. So I have a question for you. Would you entertain the idea of going somewhere you don't prefer? Would you? I mean, it's really an issue of submission, isn't it? I, I can say this because I have lived down there and enjoyed very much living in the Southeast. I, I really have fond memories of living in the Southeast. I miss it. I, I like it a lot. Would would a true, we've got some of our brethren from the Atlanta area around here. So would the true Southerners really consider going to a city up north? I mean, I don't want to get too nasty about it. All y'all wonderful people in the KC metro area enjoy your city environment. Would you even consider the possibility of going to a little town? I mean, think about it. A lot of people, a lot of people, truly, I mean, you say what you want in this room. A lot of people truly would say, no, no, I'm not doing that. There's no way. And I would say, maybe you need to consider, consider your ways. Because letter A in your notes, I, I think that you might do well just to serve as a good soldier. You know 2 Timothy 2, right? Verses 3 and 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him, Jesus Christ, not himself, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Remember? 
many, in other words, all are called, few are chosen. The ones that have proven themselves will be chosen as a good soldier, and they should not concern themselves. How many soldiers say, oh, by the way, General, I think that I'd prefer being stationed in Germany than, you know, Afghanistan. Well, congratulations, you're going to Afghanistan. (laughs) You know, you don't get to pick. They send you where they need you. See how that works? Those decisions are not yours. They belong to your superior officers. Soldier, can you trust the Lord enough to go where he wants you? See, the question has nothing to do with a place. The question is, where is the work that needs to be done? It is true. I have consistently been presented with the opportunities to serve in a work that happens to be in locations that I would not have ever preferred. And so at the beginning, you know, I wasn't just romantically involved with the location. Now, as the work developed and God gave victory and people got saved and disciples were made and churches were built and Man, you fall in love with the people and the place and all of the things because at the end of the day, none of that even matters. None of it even matters. I'll tell you what matters, your attitude. That's what matters. It matters that you have the right attitude to be willing to do the work that needs to be done. And who better to help you determine how you fit in the right work than the shepherds and pastors who trained you and know you and have proven you and seen how you respond and lead and where your gifts are and what the needs are. I mean, consider some of these examples I, I put in your notes. God sent Abraham. And what did he tell Abraham? Start walking. Where am I going? I don't know. I'll tell you when you get there. Moses, guess where you're going, Moses? Back to Pharaoh. You're going back to Egypt. It's hostile, and they're your enemies. How about Jonah? Uh, Nineveh. You couldn't hate a place more than Jonah hated Nineveh. Ezekiel was forced to go back to the Israelites, and immediately in the call was told, nobody's going to listen to you, Ezekiel. They got hard heads but I'm going to make your head harder than their head. And that's why I want you to go there. Oh, well, thanks, Lord. (laughs) That ought to be a fun ministry. Uh, You could consider Jesus Christ leaving glory to come to a sinful world. Humanly speaking, that wasn't a fun assignment. The Apostle Paul sent to the Gentile world, the dirty, filthy pagans, constantly on the road, uncomfortable, resistance. And in each case, God needed them to go where he wanted for his purpose. Because, oh yeah, I think I remember reading, he is the Lord of the harvest. He moves the chess pieces. So since sending is directed by the Holy Ghost and facilitated by the local church, Wouldn't it make sense for your church leaders to select for you the most suitable work? I mean, how often does that happen? I mean, usually what we see is an enthusiastic, faithful young man or woman comes and says, 
I've been praying and God has burdened my heart and I know I have to be here. And they, what they really want, and I'm not, I'm not trying to question the sincerity or the purity of the thought. I truly am not. But there is something in that that says, I want. The question really would be, is there a need for a work which you have been proven effective doing? And if, listen, in some people's lives, you know, they get to go to the beach, what's it called? Cartagena. Cartagena. I bet that's nice. That just sounds cool. Some people get to do that. I, I never got to do that. So what if your leaders, what if your pastors, what if your teachers match your demonstrated gifts and experiences with the need that's in the world? And they just said, hey, Joe, we found a spot. And I'm just telling you what, you and your wife, I've seen how you work. I've seen, I know what you know. I know how you operate. I know your personality traits. I know your gifts. I know your capabilities. And man, we're aware of a need over here. And I want to send you to go there. You know, it would be great if Joe would say, yes, sir, whatever you say. Whatever you say. That, my friends is true sending. It's not you picking and hoping they'll sign off on your idea. You see the difference? Let's take a look at a couple of places. I mean, that all sounds good coming from me. I mean, let's see what God says. Acts 15, 40. Paul chose Silas and departed being what? Recommended by the brethren. There's no record in any of that event in Acts 15 that Silas had a vote in anything. 2 Corinthians 8, 19. And not that only, but who also was chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace. Go down to verse 22. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Can you see how the churches, the collective body, God works through the spirit, the soul, the word, and the body, the church, to select and approve and send to meet the needs? So that's what your attitude should be. My life's not my own. I don't get a vote. I trust the biblical structure. I will serve wherever the Lord may lead, wherever he deems that he can use me in whichever capacity that he would choose that he can use me. Lord, I only exist for your pleasure. Then, my friend, you are usable and you come off the shelf. And God says, now, now I can pour you out. Now I can use you to quench the thirst. Now I'll accomplish my objective through you. That's all I needed. That's all I was waiting for. We're really practically finished. But I just want to challenge you. We won't have time to develop this. You have heard, many of you have heard of this before. I want you to, letter B, consider in the light of all these things we've learned, consider what I will call the unheards, the unheards 
And maybe I should just direct this to existing church leaders here. Because if what we are learning tonight is true, and if we see this, and we can amen all day that we don't think our people should just run off on their own. But friends, pastors, leaders, it also means that we need to be seriously investigating not only the gifting and proving and experience of our people, but needs and opportunities all around the world so that we can be the guides that God can use to match them in the work that will be the most suitable. If they would submit to you, leader, would you be able to place them in the right location? Consider the unheards. Where will you seek to send your people? What exactly is the work? Okay, generally, it's go to all the nations and make disciples, but more specifically, well, we began this series talking about how we're commanded to follow the Apostle Paul, and I think this is a very good place that we could apply that, Romans 15, 20. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written... And he gets this word from the book of Isaiah, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. And they that have not heard the unheards shall understand. And I get it, there truly are needs all over the world, even in your favorite cities. But there are many, many, many places where multitude, countless multitudes of people If you were here this morning and listened to that final testimony, countless people have never one time had the opportunity to hear a clear presentation of the gospel. Not one time. Would you consider the unheards? Where there's little to no gospel witness? Because that's what Paul did. And we are commanded to follow him. Lastly, in this section, anyway, the majority of peoples that have never heard one clear gospel presentation, friends, are not in the most desirable places of this world. And our job, you got to get this, is to complete the Great Commission. God did not give us this goal. He did not give us this commission. He did not give us this mission to do cooperatively with him just to kind of keep us busy until the rapture time came around. He gave us a job to do and fully expects us to get it done. I don't even want to hear about your dispensational prophetic understanding about how every church fails and every dispensation or every group fails. God expects us to obey and get it done, and we need to believe him like we're really going to do it. And if we constantly shift our people around in tiny little circles in the same cities that we always love, you know, there's millions and millions of people who still never get one chance. Everybody needs at least one chance. Revelation 17, 14, please, I understand the context is the tribulation, but there is a statement that we have to at least look at. And it says at the end of that verse, it says, and they that are with him, notice there's three categories. They're called and chosen and faithful. 
they're invited, they're proven, and they're recognized or commissioned. Trust the Lord, all of him, soul, spirit, and body enough to go where he can best use you because you are all called. If you do the work, you will be chosen. But only time will tell whether or not you'll be faithful. Only time will tell. But you know what? It can start right here. And it can start right now. Let's bow our heads and pray.